0: This is what God's Word says in Galatians 2, verse 11. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, learning the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful for already the time that we've had to share together in singing and praying, fellowshipping together, and I just ask now, God, that you would let your word speak to us, let it move in our hearts and in our spirits so that we might be changed, we might experience new life that comes from only what you can give and only what you can do, and so we are humbled to stand underneath your word and ask for your grace now as we talk about it, listen to it, as I preach it, would you help we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Have you ever uh, walked around your house and something catches your eye? I mean, you know, we all live in homes and sometimes there'll be something on the floor or pieces of garbage, you know, something, whatever, and it's left out and you might walk over it and you don't even notice it and then sometimes something catches your eye. I was I was uh, walking through my house. It was actually early this morning, and this, this caught my eye. I have a picture for you. So this is um, in, in my guest bathroom, which is really my, my kid's bathroom, and I took a picture of it. There's two, there's two reasons this stood out to me. I'm going to tell you what, what happened. One, this makes it look like my, I have 10 kids. I was like, how do we have so many toothbrushes in one little bin, and I was like, this is crazy! Like, why do we have so many toothbrushes? How do they even know? I have three kids, okay? There's three of them, So, and it's, this is all their stuff. So that was puzzling to me, and it was really early in the morning, and then I, the, the second thing kind of stood out to me, and this was more of the, the miracle of the story. All of this is so nice and neat in this picture, All the toothbrushes are in the thing. Normally, these 30 toothbrushes are scattered throughout. Tops are off of the toothpaste. Toothpaste is spread throughout the counter, and I was like, walking through, I was like, "This is, this is so amazing. This is, these things can get to me sometimes in my home. Like, it's so simple to me, right? Like, you, you, toothbrushes go in the little elephant thing. You take." You use it, you put it back. You use it, you put it back. And the, si- the simplicity of that always boggles my mind because I'll walk through it and it's never like this, ever. And so I'm going, wow, wow, this is amazing. But then I realized we had a party. We had like an event at our house last night. And so this was, this was us cleaning up for that event. And I guess it made it through to the morning because I'm wondering right now if I go walk in my bathroom, what it's gonna look like. I doubt it's gonna look like that. The simple things sometimes can be the trickiest things, right? That word simple, it's a a tricky word because even though even something like this is simple, like putting toothbrushes away or putting your clothes away or any of those things that can be frustrating in life, simple, all simple means is that it's easy to understand, right? Simple does not mean easy to do or easy to put into practice. Right, sometimes the simplest things, right? Like put the brush into the little elephant thing. So simple, but you know, for my children, it's just like, you know, I, I don't even know what you're talking about, Dad. I thought it was put away, but it wasn't. Simple things are easy to understand, but often hard to do, hard to implement, right? If I say, go run a mile, right? Running, simple. Just put one foot in front of the other rapidly. If I say run a mile rapidly, you say, okay, that's simple, I understand it, Adam, but then to go and do it is a whole different story, isn't it, for some of us? If I say, shoot a basketball, right? Take a basketball, stand at a free throw line or maybe in a three-point line, and you shoot like simple, right? Get this ball in that hoop, simple to understand, but for most of us, hard to do consistently. Singing, music, right? The, the idea of singing is, is simple, like open your mouth, Let some sound come out and hopefully it's pleasing but to do it to do it well is well it's not so easy and that's what makes like professional athletes and actors and and musicians what's make them what makes them so great is because they take the what seems simple and they make it look easy when it really isn't easy right that's that's i mean steph curry right he's greatest three-point shooter in history, arguably, right? He can take that, that, that simple task of throwing that basketball into the hoop, into the net, and he can do it over and over and over again, make it look easy. Tiger Woods, he can take a golf club. He can effortlessly just look like he's sweeping the floor and the ball will shoot 400 yards straight down. That's what makes some people amazing and great is because they can take those things and make it look so easy. But for us, we understand, a lot of us, it's hard. Simple doesn't mean easy. Simple means that we have often work to do in order to, to, to get a hold of it, to grasp it. And, and even the best in the world at those things will tell you, they, those things just don't come easy. It takes time after time after time and repetition and it takes work and effort to do the simplest things well. And where I'm going with that is when we talk about the gospel. See, we've been spending a lot of time talking about the gospel, and we're going to continue talking about it for, for the next, you know, several weeks. When we talk about the gospel, I think we, we encounter a similar situation, something similar, because... I'm arguing that the the gospel is the absolute foundation of life. That's what our series is called, Foundations of Life. That this is it. This is everything. This is what we build our life on. This is the center. The gospel is everything. And it's simple. Right? The message of the gospel is simple. It's so simple. We just talk about the understanding of, okay, grace, free grace, Jesus, paid for our sins. The only way for us to be right with God the Father is through Jesus. Jesus did it. He did everything he did, everything that we needed. And we can sit back and we can hear that message and say, yeah, 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 I got that. I know, I know, I know. And many of us hear that and we say, yeah, I I get it. Now what, what else? I need to move on, I need more, tell me more. We'll put that back. we we'll put that aside for now. But the truth is that the gospel, as easy as that is to understand, those words are not complicated. It is really hard to live. It is hard to do. I mean, I, I can liken it to dieting, right? I mean, dieting is not rocket science, right? You, you want to live healthy, maybe lose some weight. You want to diet. What do you do? You just eat good food in the right amounts, Stay away from the bad, eat the good, that's the simplicity of it, but every one of us has some understanding of how hard it is, because you want ice cream, you don't want broccoli, you want donuts, that's what I like, I like donuts. I don't want to not have the donut, right? But the idea is so simple, yet we have, we have struggles in it. And, you know, in our story here, we see something very unique happening in the life of the church that I think is going to help us as we think through this concept of just understanding, okay, how, how does the gospel impact our lives in this simple, easy-to-understand message, but hard to grab a hold of? See, Paul tells us of this story Now, remember, he's writing this letter to a group of churches in this region of Galatia. That's why it's called Galatians. He's writing to a group of churches who have, they thought they understood the gospel, they were living by the gospel, and then some bad guys came in, started teaching some wrong stuff, and they're drifting away from the gospel. Whereas once they understood that salvation came through Jesus and Jesus alone, now They're starting to think, yeah, Jesus is important, but it's Jesus and obeying some of these other laws or doing some of these other works, performing. And so Paul is, he wrote this letter. He's one of the apostles. He built this church, and he is telling them, like, okay, I I can't believe this is happening, and let me communicate some things to you about some of what's happening outside of your churches. So he goes through kind of his resume, and then he gets to this story where he says, "I, I I had this issue with Cephas. And you're like, well, who's Cephas? Well, Cephas is who? Peter. Like the Peter. Okay, If if you've never heard of Peter, Peter is like the other major apostle. He is the guy, like the apostle. Like the church was really started and built after Jesus left on Peter. Peter knew the gospel more than, better than anyone at that point at least. And Jesus told Peter, like you're, you're going to build the church. And so what's happening is Paul comes into, you know, let's just say the cafeteria, right? They're, they're all eating. Peter is eating, and he's at the table with what they call, in the, in the text here, they call Gentiles, right? Gentiles just are, is another term for non-Jewish people. They're Greeks, most likely. So Peter is eating with these guys, which is a big deal. And you're like, this shouldn't be a big deal, but it is a big deal because Peter, as grew up as a Jewish boy, Jewish man, before Jesus came into his life. I mean, that, that was his religion, he was Jewish. And so he's sitting with non-Jewish people, and which was forbidden, man, you would not do that. You would not have a meal with Gentiles, with people who were outside of the family. They weren't part of the bloodline. And so J- Peter had this amazing vision from God, like he's been, he, he understood that everyone was clean, everyone was welcome into God's family, and he's having a meal. And then Paul witnesses something else. He sees these other guys come into the cafeteria. And they're called men from the circumcision party. Right? So, it doesn't sound like a fun party, right? So, they, they come in. And these are guys who would believe a distortion of the gospel. They would say, yeah, yeah, Jesus is important. But you have to also obey the law. And believe in Jesus to really have a relationship with God now these are Jewish men coming in so what happens Paul's watching the scene unfold Peter's eating in an amazing way with Gentiles these these Jewish guys come in and Peter gets up from the table and he leaves now why would he do that something's going on in Peter and Paul feels it important to tell us this story because this is a big deal. Peter gets up from the table because he is afraid. He doesn't want to look bad in front of these guys that just walked in. There's something going on. There's a little bit of racial thing happening in him so that he gets up from the table. He leaves. Paul watches this whole thing happen and he, he says, I, I had to talk to him. So he confronts, I mean, he, he, Paul and Peter, like two of the biggest figures in church history, This is like Muhammad Ali, Joe Frazier, you know, way back in the day, like these are the two boxing legends, they're going head-to-head. Paul calls him out. Paul calls him out to his face, and he, he says, what are you doing? And we only get a snapshot of this conversation, which is really fascinating. I just wonder what more happened. I don't think, you know, they like got into a physical fight, but... Paul, Paul is telling you, like, you're, you're making racial distinctions right now that you know are wrong. You, you know better than this. You're getting up because you don't want to look bad. You don't want to be seen with these people sitting next to them. And so he, he, he says, you're, you're a hypocrite. You're acting like a hypocrite. You know that God isn't loving you or anybody else based on their heritage. So what are you doing separating yourself from these guys? And this is what's important. For us, okay, to, to really grab a hold of with what Paul comes with. Because he doesn't go to Peter and, and and say, Look, man, you are this is bad manners. You don't do this stuff. This is not what good Christians do. He, he doesn't confront him saying, look, you're being rude. This wasn't a behavioral issue. He doesn't run up and say, bro, you're, you're breaking the law, man. You're breaking the rules. He, no, he says this. Look at what he says. He says, but when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, he says... I told everybody. I I confronted him in front of everybody. He said, this is not a behavioral issue. This is a gospel issue. And it created this encounter where we get to read about just this little snapshot. And I think we learn a ton from that. This was a gospel issue. What mattered most to Paul was not the behavioral issue, but that it was a gospel issue and it needed to be dealt with. And so this is what it shows us for you and for me. That the gospel is a truth. It is truth. It is truth that provides a framework through which we live. It is the foundation that we live our life based on. And that there are things that are in step, right? You see the words, not in step. So that means that there are things that are in step with the gospel, and then there are things that are out of step, in line with the gospel, or out of line with the gospel. So the question is, how do we how do we navigate all that? What do we do? See, because this is it right here. This is why we can't ever get to a point where we say, Ah, yeah, 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 I, I got the gospel. I understand that now. I just I, I move on. You know what's next. Because understanding the gospel is not just about believing something in our head, right? It's not just understanding this truth, right? Again, easy to understand, hard to put into practice. If we want to align with the gospel, if we want to be in step with the gospel, it's more than just, all right, I get it, I understand. No, it has to be lived out in a special way. See, this, what we believe will come out in how we live. What we believe is going to come out in how we live. And so Tim Keller, who's a great pastor, and he's in New York City, he's an author, he's a speaker, he's a great thinker, he he says this about the gospel. He says, the gospel is slippery. I don't know if you've ever thought about it that way before. The gospel is slippery. You see, what, what, what do we mean by that? It's like, look, just when we think we get a grasp on it and we can hold on to it and say, okay, I understand it, I got it, all right, now it's time to move on, we... We, we start abandoning what's the foundation, and it starts to slip through. It, it, it slips out of our hands. Not because there's a problem with it, but because there's a problem with us. The gospel is slippery, and so once we think we grasp it, we realize how much we don't grasp it. I mean, look who's caught in the middle of this whole thing. It's Peter. Peter. Peter, this is like 10 years already after Peter started, you know, Jesus has been gone a while. Peter's not new at this. And what's happening? It's slipping. It's slipping through his hands. If there's anybody who knew the gospel, man, it was Peter. And yet, (laughs) here it is. He's missing it. So this should do two things for you and me. It should comfort us to some extent because, look, we're all missing it. And if Peter's missing it, we're in good company. <laughs> but it also should caution us to to never get that arrogant attitude that says, like, "Well, I get the gospel, I understand it, and and now I'm gonna I'm gonna move on from it." Because we will be in trouble if we do that. And we are constantly having having to ask ourselves this question, what does my life align with? Because that's what we're talking about today, gospel alignment. Peter knew the gospel. He understood it. He grasped it. And then he, it's slipping through his hands, and he gets up from the table, and he walks away. This is the question that we have to consistently ask ourselves. What does my life align with? What does my life align with? Because here's this. Here, here's what it is. We will align with something. Always. We will always align ourselves with something. And even as you see this question, I want you to think about what, what are you most known to be aligned with? If people were to, if I were to ask someone else, your best friend or people around you, say, what, what are they aligned with? What would they say? What would you say? Write it down. Think about it. Because this is a, a life-shaping question. Are you most aligned with performance? How good you do at something, at any given task? You're the one who's always telling everybody else what they're doing wrong, criticizing, being critical. Don't look at other people in the room right now, <laughs> like that's you, don't do that. Is it politics, man? Like you're, you're the one who's known for being the guy or the woman who, who knows all the political issues and you line yourself up with one party or another, or you're, you're always telling everybody what the conservatives are doing wrong or what the liberals are doing wrong, like that's your alignment. Politics, man. I have a lock on it and if you're not with me, you're against me. How about self-empowerment? Identity issues, man. Like, I am, this is who I am, and I want everybody to know it, and I'm gonna make sure I am strong and no one will ever see me be weak. Is that your alignment? Success, how far up the ladder you're going, how much money's in your bank account, social justice. We're going to, I'm the one who's going to end hunger and poverty and racism and, ab- and abortion and, and take care of the orphan crisis. All right, so what's, what's a? <laughs> here's the thing. None of those things I said are bad. In fact, they can be great. We need strong people in each of those categories. See, this is, the, this is the challenge, though. This is the rub of our life because if they become the source of everything, they, they can't be the foundation on which we stand. If politics is going to be your platform for life, your foundation, it is going to fall and crumble underneath your feet so fast. The gospel has to come in and shape and transform the way that we see these things. And we can be about those things and we can enjoy them. We can love having a healthy understanding of how our world works and the systems around it and the social issues that are there. We can be in those camps. Like I want you thinking about social justice. I want you to think about Government and those things. I want you to to love your family and have family be an important part of your life, but it cannot be the ultimate alignment of your life because, if so, it is going to blind you to so many other things that are going on in the world and it's going to skew your life in one direction that will be unhealthy to the other things. But when the gospel comes in and it shapes and transforms how we view justice, how we view politics, how we view success, how we view family, church, sexual identity, any of those things, the gospel comes in and it, it, it gives us a, a lens which to look through and it clears things up. It doesn't make it easy to do, but it helps us to understand better on how to look at life. Because if we don't, that blindness will cut us off from God. It'll cut us off from other people. And we will be like Peter. We'll get up from the table. Because we're not eating with the right person. You're not in my camp. I don't want to look bad in front of those people, so I'm up. I'm out. What does my life align with? What does your life align with? Look, the gospel transforms how we see the world. It has to. That's why Paul could approach, who, who was a friend, publicly. <laughs> you know, this was a big deal for Paul. The gospel transforms the way we see the world, and so we see that injustice, and we don't go up and say, hey, man, you need to love Gentiles. You need to, you, don't be racist. Don't do that. Like, we start with the rules. That's what we want to do. We start coming in with all the rules and saying, your behavior is wrong. i got to change your behavior. Paul doesn't do that. He says, bro, this is a gospel thing, man. Like we're this is about Jesus. This is about our love for God. You're, you're, you're breaking the gospel. You're, you're going out of step with the gospel. That's not what we're about. We're building the church, man. We have to, we have to be on the same page. And I'm telling you, this is so hard because we are just prone to rules and law. I mean, I have children, man, and, you know, the toothbrush is like, uh, it drives me insane when they're all over the place and toothpaste is like caked on the sink and everything. And I'm just going, what I want to do in those moments is correct behavior as fast, as quickly as possible so that the toothbrushes get in that silly little elephant. What do I really want, though? I want my kids to grow up loving Jesus and having a heart for the gospel that will that, that it's not about the toothbrushes having a <laughs> you can put that off having a having a system in their minds a framework which, which with which they live that says it's not just about me putting toothbrushes in this is about me loving God and loving my home and respecting my parents and and like wanting to create an environment that's welcoming to other people see then we start getting at the roots of things so much better than if I just create these little lawyers walking around like, oh, better put your toothbrush away, you better do this get in line, do this, do this right don't do that right, man that's prison and we as parents are constantly talking and weeping and <laughs> going over these things because we don't want we don't want to raise rule keepers we want to raise Christians we want to raise people who love Jesus, love the gospel that's what I want to help us with that's what this story does. It helps us. When we grab a hold of the gospel, everything changes, and we, we learn, first and foremost, that the gospel is the answer to all of, all of humanity's needs. It is the answer, okay? I want to make sure we are clear about that. I believe the gospel is the hope of the world, man. This is it. But, or and, it is the answer to how we engage with humanity's needs. It's not just the do's and the don'ts, the lists. This is how we engage. It shapes how we engage with one another. Do you see how that changes things, how it changes so much? Paul's encounter with Peter, it's different than often what we do. The gospel is power. Paul says it in Romans 1.16. He says it's the power of God, man, like We need to experience gospel power in our life. Do's and don'ts is not power, man. That is, that's easy. And it's also easy to do. The gospel takes heart in us. It changes our hearts so that it's not just about do's and don'ts. It's about a a heart change that gets us to understand that God's grace has been poured into us. And what that does is that makes us humble. Okay, so that's that's an important characteristic. And that humility that all the grace and the humility shape us we've received it and so now we want to go and give it to others everywhere that we go so this has to infiltrate our lives at every level and how we engage with one another because look we we are we are people sometimes we can't even have conversations with people who differ that differ on certain views than us it's like I don't even, we get to this place where we don't even want to hear it anymore. Oh, you're different. Get up. Get away from my table. I don't want you. I don't want to talk about it. I don't even want to think that maybe there's nuance in your opinion and that maybe my, I'm not 100% right in what I think, and so I, I'm going to have conversation with you about those things. We need more of that, but sometimes we just get so cut off and so caught in our lives and our views that we are unwilling to see and and in, enter into the hurt that other people are experiencing. Do you know that May is um, Mental Health Awareness Month? And um, <clears throat> even right there, that phrase will trigger some people in one way or the other in your views on mental health issues. Do you know that <clears throat> statistics say that almost half of adults in the U.S. in their lifetime will experience one mental disorder or another. You know, Anxiety disorders are are the most common in our country and that about one in five people experience a mental anxiety disorder and just about that many are taking some sort of medication to help with that. So, you've just heard some information you're processing that. (laughs) We as gospel people have to hear that and think through. How does that, how do, what do we do with that information? Do we just, do we come back and sit on our political platforms like, oh, there goes the liberal media again. Always embellishing, always exaggerating. Or do we go on the other side like, yeah, Christians, they don't even care about people who have mental illness. They just think, you know, we gotta pray harder. We're all over the map. We have a responsibility to hear those things and to go, all right, maybe I'm part of the 80% that doesn't experience anxiety, which me, Adam, I'm not part of the 80%. I definitely, for most of my life, and I've shared this with you, have experienced anxiety issues. But I get it, there's like, the 80% that don't experience those things, and they have a hard time sometimes understanding what it's like to have some of those experiences, or any of the experiences that we don't have ourselves, we sometimes have a hard time getting into what the other person is experiencing. And the gospel comes in, and it, it destroys all of that, man. It says Christ came to, from heaven, didn't have any of those things, came in as a human, and experienced all that we experienced so that we might have life and so that he could understand what we go through. And so, man, maybe you don't understand what people with anxiety feel like, or you don't understand what it's like to be from a different country or speak a different language or have different colored skin than, you know, what other people do. Like, you're, you have choices in those moments to say, all right, as how is the gospel going to shape this? Will I have Will I enter into their world and have conversations with someone and say, what's it like to suffer from anxiety? What's it like to be from somewhere else and coming to this country and having to speak a different language when everybody else is speaking something different than you and you have to learn that? Tell me what your experiences have been like. We need more of that. That's how the gospel will help us and shape us and change us. And it is not easy, because you know what it's going to do? It's going to make things uncomfortable, really uncomfortable. I'm going to ask the worship team to come on up. It makes things uncomfortable, because when you start hearing someone's experience that is so vastly different than your own, you start to—it's kind of that fight or flight thing. We we get into this mode of like, oh no, that's not true. That doesn't happen. Or we can take a posture and say, wow, I never knew that, man. That must be hard. And I want to be a friend to you. I want to love you through this. I want to help you. I want to do what I can to not be part of the problem, but I want to be part of the solution. That's how the gospel comes in and shapes what we do, how we engage in these things. Because I'm telling you, gospel alignment is not easy. It's easy to understand. It's hard to live. But you know, like my Jeep, I have a, I have a Jeep. I have some big tires on it. And that thing, when it's misaligned, it's a nightmare to drive. It's so, like, it gets offline a little bit, out of line, and I, I wanna go straight, and I'm holding my steering wheel straight, and it's veering off to the right, so I have to adjust in some unnatural ways, and as you can see with my OCD nature about, like, toothbrushes, I imagine how I feel about driving my car every day when it's not in alignment. So what do I do? I go, I take it in, they, they tune it up, they give it an alignment, I think that should fix the problem, and then I get back in the car, not that much longer, this thing starts veering off again. It is a constant process for me to get my car going straight, going in the right direction, it is the same for us. We need constant realignment, constant help in getting our our minds and our hearts going in the right direction that will be in step with the gospel like Paul was talking about. What are you aligning with? I want you to ask that question. What am I aligning with? that's your first question in life that's the fundamental question in all of life do i know jesus do i follow jesus as the lord of my life do i have i trusted that he has forgiven my sins and that my faith in him is what his work makes me right with god the father that i am forgiven i am saved from the penalty of my sin and i would tell you if any of those other things on that list are what you're mostly aligned with i would ask you to go to god and just say god I don't want to be the politic guy anymore. I don't want to be the identity guy anymore. I don't want to just be the social justice guy. I want to be the gospel person. I want to be defined by what the gospel says. And then I will have a platform to make drastic change in the world around me and in areas of social justice and needs that people have. Let me ask you a second question. So that's the first thing. What am I helping others align with? Are you an agent of bringing people in alignment with the gospel or just in alignment with your rules? Or your politics? Because it's not just about us, right? Do you remember in the story what happened? Peter gets up from the table and what happens? People follow, including Barnabas who's another one of the heavy hitters. These guys lose their minds in a moment the slipperiness, man. And they needed Paul to come in and say, hey, uh, this <laughs> gospel's in trouble here. This is wrong. Our views, our lives never just affect us. They affect everybody around us. What are you helping others align with? Is it Jesus? Is it the gospel? Or is it to fit in that box that's just like you? We need to answer these two questions well. And I want you this week, I want you to think about this, man. I want you to write it down. And I want you to take some of those other areas and say, God, I, I want you. I want you only. And if this is you for the first time and you're saying, I want, I- I want Jesus, I-, I-, I want him more than I want these other things, and I've never followed him in faith before, God is moving in your heart. And all you have to do is call out and say, I believe. Say, forgive me of my sin, Jesus. I trust you for." The forgiveness of my sin and the salvation of my soul and God will meet you in a moment and that's the beginning of this amazing journey and process of the Christian faith but for some of us we need to we need to start tossing out some of those other things and start focusing in and lining up with the gospel I want you to think about people over preferences I want you to think about relationship over rules hearts over habits grace over guidelines man if we can we can live in that stream the gospel becomes alive in a whole new way and we will see some amazing change and what we get to do right now is we get to live this out in a pretty neat way we're gonna we're gonna take communion together and i'm just gonna ask the um, those who are gonna be helping serve communion to come on up and just kind of get into position and here's what's happening the Lord told us that we're to operate in in unity through the Lord's table so this is for people who have confessed their need for Jesus who confessed faith in Christ and maybe that's you for the first time today if you did that then we're gonna invite you to come to this table and be a part So we're gonna have couples at each aisle and they're gonna have the elements for you. And what we're doing during this time is, (laughs) where Peter got up from the table, we're actually coming to the table together in an act of unity, in an act of togetherness, gospel alignment to where Jesus is the center. And what we do during this, we take bread and we take juice or wine And God meets us in a unique way because we're remembering the sacrifice of Jesus and how his body was broken for us and how his blood was spilled for us. And so what an amazing thing that we get to do after reading the story and after hearing these words to, to come to the table as one body. It doesn't matter where you're from, it doesn't matter what you do for a living, it doesn't matter how much money's in your bank, it doesn't matter what the skin color is on in your body, it doesn't matter. What political party you belong to this is us together coming under the banner of Jesus Christ and working something amazing together so I would say if you're if you're not following Jesus yet you're still questioning you're searching you're seeking man I am so thankful that you're here and I would ask you this is this is not a time to play games we wouldn't want you to do something that goes against your conscience and so during this time music's gonna be playing I would encourage you to just pray and sit this one out if you call Jesus Lord and you follow him then the table is open for you and we have people here ready to serve you and to rejoice with you so I'm going to stand excuse me I'm going to pray I'm standing already I'm going to pray and then these guys are going to help you as you come up uh, from your aisles to the table here and then what I'll ask you to do is grab your elements go back to your seat don't eat it yet or drink and we're going to all take it together as one Father, we love you. We thank you, God, for all that you're doing, all that you have done. God, bless this time of taking the Lord's Supper. Would you move in us in powerful ways even as we take this, God? Reminding us that our sins are forgiven. Reminding us that the gospel is the central point of all of life and that we come underneath the banner of the gospel in everything that we do. Change us. Help us. Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Church, let's stand together and allow these ushers to just help guide you up to the table.